0: Creative
1: Babble. Describe what happened the 30th of September, 2018.
0: That day, I had went to, it, it was a Saturday, I, I distinctly remember. Kind of a normal Saturday and all that. And me being a veteran, I told I told my old lady, I said, I'm going down to the uh, VFW, going to play some poker.
2: So, Javier, tell me about this guy who's talking.
1: This is Tim Jones. He's a Marine veteran. He's retired. He's living with his brother and his girlfriend just to save a couple bucks on rent. And right now, he's not working, but he's an accountant by trade. But let's go back to that Saturday night where the story begins.
0: The weekly Saturday night poker games. Well, when I got home, my girlfriend was... She admitted that she had went down to to Wally's dad and bought oxycodone. Those are those pain pills.
1: Wally, remember that name. He's referring to Constable Wallace, who's a law enforcement officer in Pulaski County in Kentucky, where this story takes place.
2: All right. So just so I understand this, Tim Jones is a former Marine. He's at home where he lives with his brother and his girlfriend. And she comes walking in and she tells him that she just purchased drugs from a cop's dad
1: yeah exactly. And let's just say that he's not very happy about the situation
0: and I, And I'll be honest with you guy i I just lost it I, I said this this guy, this guy that you bought these pills off is the father of the constable uh, who steals dope, gives to his father to sell it, it's been it's been long known that this has been going on for years that this happens. I said now it's only a matter of time before they come get us. And
1: everything that happens from this point forward is just going to be really messy. So what happened? I mean, she comes back home with the drugs, and what do you do?
0: Into my house, yeah, yeah. And, and I called the police. And I, call, I knew if I hadn't, if I hadn't, who knows? Maybe 10 minutes later, Constable Wallace and his three constables are going to come in there and steal, tear my house up and steal everything I got.
1: Now we'll get into what a constable is in a minute, but just think of them as another type of law enforcement officer. So John, what do you think is really going on in this house?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I think Tim is really focused on the fact that his girlfriend just purchased drugs and that she bought them from the father of a constable. However, I think just kind of at the core, you've got a couple that's arguing. And so you've got a possible domestic disturbance that, that could be taking place here.
1: Was there any physical altercation between the two of you?
0: Negative. No, one, no better than that.
1: So Tim Jones calls the cops, and he's just waiting for them to arrive.
0: And, and I, I walked out to the front porch waiting for them to come, because I'm going to tell them. I said, I don't want this dope in my house. I, I'm... <laughs> so you,
1: you called the cops, yes. and who showed up at the door?
0: The first people that showed up was Baldock and Eric Strunk. They it's almost as if they waited for Wallace to get there. Wallace was the ringleader. He was the uh, he was the, the boss. So they waited for him to show. He's referring to
1: Constable Gary Baldock and Constable Eric Strunk, who are two other law enforcement officers in Pulaski County. So Tim thinks that if he calls nine one one, then the Sheriff's Department's gonna send the real cops, but they didn't. Instead, these two other constables showed up at his house. Remember, the whole reason why Tim Jones says he called 911 was to get the drugs out of the house because he wants nothing to do with this. And now these guys show up.
2: So basically, what he was trying to have happen, he he caused it, he provoked that to happen.
1: Yeah, it's like the last person in the world that he wanted to arrive at the scene was Constable Wallace, and that's exactly who showed up.
2: So, was there like an existing relationship between Tim Jones and Constable Wallace before this night?
1: Only by reputation, only from what Tim Jones had heard around town. So, you knew about Wally before you ever encountered him, right?
0: Oh, oh my gosh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a scourge down here. I mean, pulling people over for DUIs and for $500, he'd let them go.
1: But if he's done nothing wrong, he has nothing to worry about, right,
2: John? I mean, you would think so, but I think when he called 911, his intention was either to get rid of the drugs, I don't know, maybe get his girlfriend arrested, but none of that happened. Instead, Tim Jones got arrested, they seized his property, they took his cash, and he was on his way to jail. Yeah!
1: From the creators of Twisted and Pretend, this is Criminal Contact Season 2, an investigative podcast about rogue constables in Pulaski County, Kentucky. Hi, I'm
3: Daniel,
2: founder of Pretty Litter.
1: All right, John, so Tim Jones, we just heard his story. He's just one guy, right? This could have been a fluke, he could be paranoid. But let's talk about some other people who have had bad run-ins with this Constable Wallace.
2: Yeah, I mean, Tim Jones mentioned Constable Wallace's reputation. And so there definitely was some buzz around the county as to what may have been going on with him. We've got a few other people that have uh, had some interactions with Constable Wallace we got Hank Smith and he was in a motor home and someone knocks on his door and it turns out to be constable Wallace. And he ends up, the constable goes into his motor home without a warrant, without consent. And he ends up seizing marijuana, the motor home itself. And he takes $7,000 in cash from this individual, but only logs $2,007 into evidence. Wow! So he
1: allegedly just walks into this motorhome and seizes a bunch of cash, reports some of it, doesn't report all of it.
2: Just and going. he seizes the motorhome. That's crazy. And I think you, we're gonna we're gonna start to see a pattern here with what what unfolds. Okay. So uh, another individual, Wyatt Dalton, he's driving his mother-in-law's car, and he gets pulled over by Constable Wallace. Constable Wallace claims that ten Xanax tablets fall out of the car. Which I find interesting in all these stories, money and drugs just falls are just, pe- they're falling <laughs> they're out. Pouring like pouring
1: out of people's right, like pockets. Just,
2: and- anyone could find this stuff. No yeah. one's doing anything to conceal what are potentially illegal items or items you wouldn't want people to know you have. They're just flaunting it. So because of these prescription pills, Constable Wallace seizes $4,440 from Wyatt Dalton. But apparently, uh, according to Dalton, what Constable Wallace puts into evidence is only $1,440 in cash. So so there's another discrepancy between what the individual who was arrested claims he had in cash and what Constable Wallace is reporting as cash that he obtained.
1: Now, I don't know anything about Wyatt and his background, but he's driving his mother-in-law's car and he also took out cash from his mother-in-law's bank account. Which tells me, hey, this might be a questionable individual.
2: Yeah, and I agree. And I, I think that that is another uh, thing that you're going to see here is that a lot of these individuals are not going to be the pillars of society. Yeah. And so I think that that is intentional on Constable Wallace's part.
1: All right. So who, who else has Constable Wallace run into
2: So, Danny Hughes was pulling a rail buggy, or a dune buggy, as I would call it, to his house, and Constable Wallace pulls him over while he's doing this. And in the process of this traffic stop, Constable Wallace finds a handgun, marijuana, and plastic bags containing what the Constable describes as crystal-like substances, and he also finds digital scales and other plastic baggies.
1: This is interesting because it started off as a traffic stop, right? So he could have had a taillight out, he could have had a cracked windshield, and he suddenly finds this big drug dealer, supposedly, right?
2: Right, this, this constable is getting very lucky. Yeah. Every time he pulls somebody over, he seems to have found a mastermind criminal. So what constable wallace does he ends up arresting this guy uh, claiming that he's distributing drugs and he confiscates 459 dollars in cash but danny hughes claims that the constable planted all this evidence that he planted the digital scales he planted the crystal meth all these things that he claimed he found however the prosecutors tell him that you if you don't if you take a plea deal then, you, you know, you're going to be in much better shape. But if you start making these accusations, you're going to go to court and you could end up going to prison for a really long time. So if he takes a plea deal, the uh, constables can keep all that evidence so they can keep the cash. They can keep a portion of that. They can anything that they see is a value. They can, it can be sold at auction and they can get money for that. So Um, what's
1: this next one?
2: Okay, so we have another incident where Constable Wallace and another constable, Baldock, they entered a residence and they end up arresting this guy for having five grams of methamphetamines. And then because they found the methamphetamines, they seize a car, they seize cash. They seize a golf cart, 14 guns, a four-wheeler, all these things because they're able to seize things when there's a certain amount of drugs because they're claiming that they're related. Now, this individual is claiming that the drugs were planted and they were not his.
1: And five grams of meth, is that a lot?
2: It doesn't seem like a lot. And once again, in this case, the individual was pressed really hard to take a plea and not to pursue anything. So he's got these allegations, but he's got his back against the wall because he's facing going to prison if he wants to tell uh, a jury that the evidence is planted. And are you going to believe the guy that was arrested on drug charges? Are you going to believe two constables? So once again, you know, you've got a, a pretty difficult situation for the individual.
1: All right, so we're just running down this list of these bad incidents and bad encounters with Constable Wallace, but is there anything else? Is there more?
2: No, the list continues. There's this woman, and she was staying at the, the Red Roof Inn, and the Constables Wallace and Bulldog they go into her room, they search it, and lo and behold, they find methamphetamines, they find a gun, they find heroin, and she's charged with trafficking in heroin. And there's allegations and concerns as whether it was a lawful search. So it's just, you know, another example of them going in and luckily finding a lot of illegal items.
1: Yeah. And and sometimes having a warrant and sometimes in this case, not having a warrant.
2: OK, so we have another situation. So Constables Wallace and Baldock, they enter the home of this couple and the wife is the only one home. And they, they didn't get consent and they get in there and they are looking for money and they're looking for drugs, but they can't find them. And so they tell the woman that she needs to call her husband and find out where the money is. And if they if they tell the constables where the money is, they won't be arrested. So then what happened? So the constables keep searching the home and they end up finding three pounds of methamphetamines, no, which sounds like a lot. Yeah. And as part of the arrest, they seize a camper, a boat, two cars, and some guns. Wow. And then once this couple is is arrested, they're faced with the same dilemma as everyone else, which is they have to take a plea deal. They have to take a plea deal. Right. Right. So they either got to take a plea deal or they're going to face serious prison time. And so part of their plea deal is the government says they have to forfeit all the items they seized and they got to pay an additional twenty thousand dollars to keep the government from taking their house.
1: Oh, my God. These people in just in a heartbeat, they just lost everything.
2: It almost sounds like legalized extortion to me. Yeah. That you're, you're arresting people and you're saying, hey, you better give us money and give us your stuff or you're going to go to prison for a really long time. But this is all the victim
1: side of the story, right? That's right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Yes. And I mean, there's two sides to every story, but still, this is not looking good for Constable Wallace.
2: Okay, so we have another situation where this car is pulled over at a shopping mall by constable wallace and when he pulls him over he looks at the passenger this female and he asks her where her drugs are and she says i don't have any drugs well he proceeds to search her for drugs which according to her she alleges that he fondled her breasts touched her inappropriately but he did not find any drugs and so he does this you know excessively thorough search and then he ends up arresting her for dui
1: and that's, that's interesting because she wasn't even driving,
2: right? Right. Yeah. She was in the passenger seat. So, yes, it sounds like something's not right there.
1: And I mean, she wouldn't make these accusations if there weren't other witnesses.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, th- some of these accusations may not be true, but there are a lot of accusations and they're, they come from a wide variety of people. And there are some pretty consistent themes throughout these accusations.
1: I think in order for all this to make sense, you have to understand the region and the area where we're talking about, right?
2: And so this is set in Somerset, Kentucky, which is a small town in Pulaski County. I mean, Somerset's got like eleven, twelve thousand 12,000 people. And the county is a huge county. And I think the county only has something like, I don't know, sixty, sixty-five thousand 65,000 people in the entire county.
1: It's not a lot of people, but it's a big area, isn't it?
2: It is. It's close to 700 square miles. So you've got a, a huge area. You've got some law enforcement in some areas, but there's also there's gaps. You know, you just got, you've got rural areas where there's just not much of a law enforcement presence. And I think in Kentucky, that's why the constable role is still there. And so this kind of fills in the gaps a little bit.
1: All right, which leads us to what is a constable? So we keep saying this word constable, but they play a real role in Kentucky law enforcement.
2: Yeah, I mean, a constable is a constitutionally appointed role, but it's an elected official. A constable is granted all the powers of a sheriff. Wow. But unlike a sheriff, they're not part of an organization. A constable doesn't have to have any law enforcement experience. They don't have to have any law enforcement training. They are just elected to fill this position.
1: So you got this elected official who answers to nobody, right? That's really, that sounds very outdated. It sounds like an old England type of government.
2: And it does. It does come from, from old England. And it's been around, I think, at least back to the 1800s in the U.S. So what what is the purpose of the constable? So I think just kind of at its core, it's to deliver court papers, If they were going to
1: serve somebody a subpoena or a lawsuit or something like that, is that what they're supposed
2: to do? Exactly.
1: Hmm. And how much do they get paid for that?
2: So they get paid for individual tasks, but it is a very small amount of money. And some of these tasks, I mean, I had to read it over several times because I feel like, how is this still in print today? (laughs) As an example, it says that a constable gets paid a dollar for killing a mad dog. Hmm. Another one is it says that they get paid $3 for killing and burying a distempered horse, ass, or mule. Wow. $3? I, I can't even imagine how long it would take to bury a horse. That's not worth $3. Not even 300 I can't imagine how long that would take. And another one, this one, I mean, maybe this is easier than burying a horse, but they get paid $10 for apprehending a fugitive.
1: Hmm. Well, that's a little bit more than $3, but still, my God, this is chump change,
2: right? It's laughable. I mean, I I can't even imagine, I mean, not only the fact that you're putting your life at risk, but the amount of time it would take to find a fugitive, the amount of time it would take to to go and get him, to bring him in. I mean, so- That doesn't even
1: seem like it's worth your time. These no, days, it, that seems like something out of the, uh, the wild, wild west or something like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, even 200 years ago, I, with, with adjusting for inflation, I don't think that would be much money. But yeah, so basically everything that they're supposed to be doing, they're paid almost a peasant's wage for what they're doing.
1: But that's not really the role that the constable plays in Kentucky, right? Constable Wallace isn't getting paid $3 to bury a horse. So I wanted to learn more about this, and I called Tim Jones's public defender, Ezra Dyke. You're a public defender down in Kentucky?
3: Yep, that's right, been here for going on three years now.
1: Yeah.
3: Kentucky has some interesting holdovers from the Wild West states, is what I call them, and a lot of states used to have this position called constable. And it was kind of a, an era where government was far flung and so you needed these guys to enforce the law. So usually it's just a, I don't know, some half retired guy or retired person gets the position just to make 20 bucks for each paper service for the courts. These guys in Pulaski and, and a few others around the state are quite entrepreneurial. They realized how much power they're given by the constitution and they took advantage of it. They're elected officials and they have all this power. And so it's emerged as a big problem in Kentucky Not just with Tim Jones and Constable Michael Wallace, but several times over the years throughout the state, they have these vigilante constables that kind of run amok and take advantage of all that power.
1: So it's more widespread than just these two constables, right?
3: Very much so. Do
1: you think that people listening to this will find this surprising?
3: I hope so. (laughs) I didn't realize the problem until I was faced with it.
1: All right, John, so we know that the constables aren't going around killing mad dogs for a dollar. How do they really get paid?
2: Well, Javier, I think that they they take advantage of the forfeiture laws, which I, those apply to, to just regular law enforcement, but also the constables. And, and what that means is that if they arrest somebody for drugs a certain amount of drugs, then they're able to seize property that potentially could have been used in connection with distributing the drugs or was purchased as a result of the drugs. And so they're looking at seizing cash, vehicles, things that can be sold, and then they get a percentage of that. That money is how they're basically able to pay themselves.
1: So in other words, if they make an arrest and – they see that you have a jet ski or or a car, and they think that maybe y- your crime is connected to that property they They could just go ahead and take
2: it right right, they're going to take it, and then it's going to be later there's going to be a hearing to decide whether they actually get to keep it or not.
1: and that's not unique to Kentucky, and that's not unique to constables, right?
2: No, it can be. It's anywhere. And the idea is that, you know, if they're making money off of dealing drugs and buying property, then they shouldn't be able to keep that property. But here with the constables, because they're able to keep a huge percentage of the money or property value that they seize, they have a real vested interest in arresting people for drugs and seizing property.
1: Law enforcement routinely seizes property funded by drug deals and that's how fbi agents have cars it's a way to fund the police department right
2: it is and and so that there are some kind of perverse motivations there but it's much more dispersed within a law enforcement entity so i mean if you got a department in in if police officer X seizes property, that police officer is not going to get the fruits of that seizure. It it's going to, to go to department, the department, right? It goes to the department. Right. But it's not like he seizes a Corvette and then he's driving a Corvette.
1: Yeah, but you when know, a he, constable seizes property, he right. kind of he's the only one that's reaping the benefits, right?
2: Yeah, if a constable seizes $10,000 in cash, some portion of that money is going to go into an account that he has some control over at some point.
1: Yeah, which to me creates this conflict of interest.
2: Definitely a conflict of interest and, if anything, a strong motivation. Uh, you could
3: argue that as well. The purpose of that is is through the state legislature set it up so that basically drug bad guys end up funding the police departments to save taxpayers money. But perversely, it also sets up an incentive to charge people with trafficking.
1: So give me an idea. How big of a cut is the constable getting from every time he sees his property?
3: I believe it's set up by statute. I believe it's 85%. Um, Some percentage goes to the county and to the prosecutor's office. So they also have a perverse incentive to protect these guys. I don't think it's, I wouldn't say it's enough to actually distort their incentives, but it's there. But the constables aren't the sole problem. You have these laws which enable them, which are a problem. And you have a number of other players higher up that could have stopped this a long time ago, and they never stepped in to do it.
1: So let's get back to Tim Jones's story. Tim Jones was the guy that we heard from earlier in the episode Ezra Dyke is his public defender. And it seems to me that Ezra Dyke is going above and beyond what a public defender usually does for his client.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think if you talk to almost any public defender anywhere in the country, the number one thing they're going to tell you is they have way too many cases. And that uh, when, when counties and cities are doing budgets people aren't saying, you know what, we need to give more money to make sure that criminals have better defenses. It's not the first thing that gets raised uh, on the budget. So most public defenders offices are understaffed, they're overworked, and they have to do what they can do to just do, usually it's almost a minimum to get their client a decent defense. It's one of the reasons why if you have money, you want to hire your own attorney. So yeah, I think in, in this case, it seems like that this is a, a real exception, that, that Tim Jones got a really stellar attorney here.
1: Describe to me the first time that you you started getting a sense that maybe this, something's wrong.
3: In Tim Jones' case, it was pretty apparent from the, the citation and the facts that something funky happened. It started out as there was a 911 call just for a, a disturbance domestically. And somehow the constable stepped in and took that call, even though they're not dispatched by the 911 operators. And then at a hearing, we found out that basically Constable Wallace is just listening in on the right bandwidth and showing up to these calls before the police can. Again, very entrepreneurial. First guy there, gets first whack at, at making the arrest and then making any money off of things. And also he gets there before any other officers might've been there to see what was going on. But, uh, but Tim Jones, of course, he's the one that had cash in his wallet. He's the one with the truck outside in the driveway. And so he's the one that Michael Wallace charged with trafficking, even though the vehicle was not in any way alleged to have been involved in selling drugs or anything like that, even though It was not apparent that the cash was earned through selling drugs. And indeed, we found out, we found some check stubs about where that money came from. But the law allows, there's a presumption that if if drugs are found near money, it's presumed that the cash comes from that money, which is again, another odd presumption. How can you believe that this guy was trafficking drugs and why did you seize his car? And why did you seize his money? And the prosecutor's office should have dismissed that, but they didn't because they're, whether it's because they stand to make a cut or because political reasons, they don't want to upset the boat. I don't know. But they should have dismissed that case.
1: So, John, we keep saying plea deal, but in Kentucky and in other places, these plea
2: deals, they have a, a name, right? Yeah. So in Pulaski County, they have what they call the rocket docket. Which is their their plea program. And what that allows is it says that you can take a felony indictment and you can move it down to a circuit court so that it becomes more like a misdemeanor.
1: So basically I waive my rights and skip the grand jury and hopefully get out with the lesser sentence. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's the intent. It's under the idea that there are so many people in the system, there's so many people arrested, there's so many people that have been indicted that they can't all go to trial. Trials are expensive, they're timely, and so on a practical level it makes sense.
1: Yeah, if I committed a crime, I would probably want to take this deal. But what happens when an innocent person gets confronted with the situation?
2: That's a real nightmare. I mean, it's one of those things that the more you think about it, it, it's not as good as it sounded. And so you've set up a system where a lot of people are getting arrested. And that's one of the issues is that, are there too many laws? Are there too many arrests? Who are all these people? Are they really doing bad things? And they're being put in this situation where they have no choice but to take these plea deals or you're looking at forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 in legal fees, you're looking at having a record, you're looking at going to prison, or you can just take a deal. And it really comes into play with the cases we're talking about, because if you take the plea, it's very, very unlikely you're going to get to keep any of the money or property that was seized.
1: That's a tough decision to make, man. But it looks like Tim Jones really is at a crossroad. He has some decisions to make.
2: Yeah, he does. I mean, he's, his back is against the wall, the same as everyone else.
3: Yeah, well, the whole justice system is the problem. The vast majority of cases are resolved through guilty pleas. And it's not necessarily because the person is guilty. It is because the system coerces guilty pleas. But if it affects people that are actually innocent and force them to plead guilty, then that's a real problem. And Tim Jones felt that system. So Tim Jones was held in jail for more than two months by the district court for this charge. And he was offered through a rocket docket deal and he was offered uh, probation as many people are. So basically he's sitting in jail. He wants to get out of jail. He's offered probation through a rocket docket deal. Pleading guilty is actually the fastest way to get out of jail, which is totally wrong. Pleading innocent should be the fastest way to get out of jail, if you ask me. And so that's what happened with Tim Jones. But he stuck to his guns. This guy who's a Marine veteran, I think he had one misdemeanor from years ago for a traffic ticket or something like that. And um, he said, no, this is wrong and I'm going to fight it. And thank goodness he did.
1: And and so as a public defender, at what point in that process do public defenders like you intervene, and what kind of advice do you give, and how do you fight that pressure of these people wanting to get plead guilty and get out of jail?
3: Well, in Tim Jones' case, with a trafficking charge of, it would have been under two grams of meth, he was looking at one to five years. So he was looking at a minimum of one year to serve if he went to trial, and a judge would would be very unlikely to grant probation if, if a jury came back and said serve one year. So he's looking at big change to his life. And so I would have told him that, but I also would have said, hey, there's some funny stuff going on with Constable Wallace.
1: What is the consequence of, let's say Michael Wallace got it wrong. Let's say he arrests somebody or even planted evidence or something like that. And and now what are the consequences for somebody who is now victimized by these constables? What What is their life after this? I mean, the vast
3: majority of what I would call his victims do, did plead guilty. And frankly, the vast majority of his victims likely were guilty of something. Constable Wallace was smart enough to prey on the politically disconnected and usually the poor population. And so, he got away with it for years. And frankly, once you're poor and have a criminal record, you lose a lot of credibility in the court. So even if somebody who had been addicted to drugs for 10 years, even if they'd been guilty the previous three times of possession of drugs, if they were brought back in and were completely innocent and had drugs planted on them, guess what? Nobody's going to believe them.
1: So Tim Jones is at a crossroads right now. He has to make a decision. He either pleads guilty or he tries to fight this thing.
2: Yeah. He's got a decision to make here. That's one that, that none of us want to make. And it's one of those that in the movies, the character always makes the tough decision, which is, yeah, I'm willing to fight and risk going to prison to do the right thing. But in real life, I mean, that's a really risky decision to make.
1: Do you think he's innocent? Do you think he's telling the truth?
2: I haven't picked up on any any clear deception from him. I think that uh, he's being fairly forthright here, but I think there's more to the story. We don't know what exactly was going on with he and his girlfriend inside that house before the constable showed up. But what we do know is that what they called about and what ended up happening were two totally different things. So it's it does look like the constables may have had an agenda going in there.
1: We don't have a copy of the 911 call. All we have is a police report. Yes. And what does that police report say?
2: Looking at the police report, I mean, the Constable Wallace does state that the reason that the 911 call was made was because of, he says, he calls it a fight between Tim Jones and his girlfriend.
1: And what exactly did they charge him with?
2: Yeah, so they charged him with, looks like, about four charges of trafficking various types of drugs.
1: And how much are we talking about? Like, a lot of drugs or...?
2: No, I mean, one of them, it says two grams of methamphetamines. The other one was less than eight ounces. They all look like very small amounts of uh, drugs.
1: And I mean, it's almost like he paints this Tim Jones guy to be a, this drug dealer, but really what he has is a little bit of pot, a couple of prescription pills.
2: So in the police report, Constable Wallace also says that the male subject, who was Tim Jones, had money falling out of his short pockets, which, once again, it just. It doesn't seem believable to me, who
1: has thousands of dollars just falling out of their pocket?
2: And that's right. It was. It was thousands of dollars. He said here that he located seven thousand four hundred and thirty dollars. But it just doesn't seem believable to me,
1: yeah. And he mentions that his girlfriend had a loaded forty five caliber pistol under her covers
2: they knew the police were coming or that they, you know, they were aware. they called the police. Right. (laughs) And that nobody is doing anything to disguise what they should know is, is illegal items and activity. So to me, I mean, you see it. Oh, the cops are coming. People are stashing things. They're throwing things out of the way. But in these instances with Constable Wallace, nobody's doing anything to conceal or hide anything that he's going after. Yeah. I mean, I've seen someone reach into their pocket and a $5 bill fall out. But I've never seen thousands of dollars hanging out of people's pockets. Yeah.
1: Here's another little miraculous evidence just falling out of the sky. When he walks in, the girlfriend gets out of bed. Okay. So she's still in bed when Constable Wallace shows up. And a white napkin fell on the floor with eight oxycodone pills. So these are the same pills that Tim Jones says allegedly came from Constable Wallace's dad.
2: Yeah. And why was she in bed and... It's just like things just fall out right in front of him. That definitely is suspicious to me.
1: And how much money did Constable Wallace say that he seized from Tim Jones that
2: night? Constable Wallace claims that he seized $7,430, but Tim Jones says that it was closer to $9,500.
1: So he found some scales. He found plastic baggies, everything a drug dealer needs to distribute drugs, right?
2: Exactly. But if this were true, wouldn't there be a lot more drugs? Yeah, you would think so. I mean, it's like there's all the paraphernalia, but not the drugs associated with it. Yeah,
1: two grams of marijuana. That's not even a
2: full teaspoon, is it? Yeah, it's not much at all. And
1: eight prescription pills. That doesn't even fill up a whole bottle.
2: No, right. Yeah, exactly. That's not even a prescription bottle full. It seems like they're really stretching the bounds of what it means to be distributing.
1: So here's my favorite part of the report. So Constable Wallace notes in his police report that the girlfriend says that the pills are hers. But guess who gets charged with distributing the controlled substances? Tim Jones. Exactly.
2: And why do you think that happened? Well, I think it's because he had the money. And the property. Yeah, exactly. So the money and the property was his. So the drugs needed to be linked to him for Wally to take them.
1: And that's pretty much the police report. So let's talk to Tim Jones again.
0: I care a lot for her, but this has got to stop. This is going to put me in jeopardy. And I, I'm 58 years old. I have never been in trouble before.
1: So you ne- you've never been arrested, anything like that?
0: No, I do have a DUI about seven years ago. And that is it, after all my... 58 years.
1: Do you have any substance abuse problems yourself, or is it, no, is it just no, your girlfriend? No, no, no,
0: no, just, uh, just her. Okay.
2: So according to the rest citation, Tim Jones was charged with six felonies, and he had a bond of $100,000 in property or $50,000 in cash.
1: Yeah, Tim Jones's future just looks very uncertain right now. So you said you lost your home. So where did you yes. stay? Where did you stay after prison?
0: I was I was able to stay for my sister's for about a month, and things. And her husband's old. It's all she can do to take care of him. So I ended up going to a homeless shelter in Lexington for. I thought it'd be best for everybody involved.
2: So that night, Tim Jones thought he was just calling 911 to get help with his situation, and he ends up getting arrested. But I think that Constable Wallace made a big mistake in arresting Tim Jones. He picked the wrong guy this time. And why is that? Because he doesn't have a criminal record. He's a former Marine, and he's willing to fight back.
1: Next time on Criminal Conduct, we're gonna hear from other people who say Constable Wallace ruined their lives.
0: We're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, but yet the system completely failed me. I don't trust law enforcement now.
3: Mike Wallace, the constable, was a walking civil rights violation. He's got a gun and a badge and is able to intimidate a lot of people.
0: If he got behind me and turned his blue lights on, I ain't stopping.
2: A special thanks to our executive producer, AdvertiseCast, and to Ruby Rose Fox for allowing us to use her song, Bury the Body, during our intro. Her music is available anywhere you can purchase music. New Year's If you enjoy the podcast, find us on social media at CriminalCon. And please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice.